right, hello again. So before we get um, too deep into the message tonight, um, at my house every now and then we have these things called family meetings. And sometimes they're fun, sometimes they're not fun. Like when we went on a vacation with some of our friends, we had these family meetings every night and we get to talk about what we're going to do the next day and it's kind of fun. Sometimes our kids are not so nice, so we have family meetings and it's not fun. So we're going to have a little family meeting, if you don't mind, just for a second. Um, and what I want to do is just talk to you as a family about some expectations. Because over the past several weeks, um, one of the things that we've noticed is there's a big distraction among cell phones. And what we're going to ask, I don't think this is a big, big ask, um, is during this time that we are in here and during your small group time when you're with your small group, that your phone just stays in your pocket unless you're using it for one or two things. One, your Bible app, or two, notes. And I get it. I take notes every single weekend on my phone. That's how I do it, and I like it. So if you're taking notes, great. If you're using it for your Bible app, great. Any other reason, slip it in your pocket and we're good. Um, the second thing is um, there's also a big distraction of people getting up and leaving to go to the restroom. Um, I do this because most of you don't go to the restroom. So here's my other ask. Is during the countdown or during the hangout time that you go and get your tinkles out before you come in here. And you all can hold it for an hour. Because you go to the movies and hold it for three hours. So I know you can hold it for an hour while you're in here. Um, if it's an emergency, fine. That's great. But we ask. And here's the reason we do this. The reason we're asking this. Because we have a mission here to help people find and follow Jesus. And if you're a distraction, you may not want to be here for this part of it. You may want to be here just for the interaction with your friends. And that's fine. We're glad you're here. We want you here. Um, but there's people here who are trying to find Jesus, and there's people here who are trying to follow Jesus. And when we, use, when we distract them, then we hinder them from finding and following Jesus Christ. So this is one of the reasons. And this is kind of our mission for Fellowship Bible Church, and this is our mission for our student ministry. And this is why we meet almost every, every single week. And this is why we do small groups, and this is why we do things like the, the fall retreats, and we do mission trips. And this is why we do these things, because we want to help people find and follow Jesus. If you haven't found Jesus, we want to help you find Jesus. And many of you guys have already found Jesus, and we want to help you follow Jesus. I think we all have a goal to f- follow Jesus deeper than we currently are. And we're, in this room, there's people with many, that, that are in many different stages of following Christ. Some of you have been following him for weeks. Others of you have been following him for years. But no matter where you are in, your, in, your, in this stage of following Christ, we want to help you follow him better. I want to be a better follower of Christ. I think that should be a goal of every Christian is to be a better follower. So we want to help you do that. And when you hear the phrase, follow Jesus, there's an assumption out there that we need to talk about. And it's this. If Jesus is someone to be followed, he must be a leader worth following. If Jesus is someone... To be followed, he must be a leader worth following, and he is. There's no way that in a world that we would talk that we would be talking about a guy two thousand years later, if it wasn't if there wasn't something extraordinary about his leadership. So tonight we're going to look at a passage where Jesus actually has a conversation with his disciples, and we're going to he gives us his ingredient 
to great leadership. If you're a Jesus follower, this is the leadership that he invites us to use when we lead. Now, have you guys seen one of these before? This is called an org chart or maybe an organizational chart. And most people, when they get a new job, they start at the very bottom of this thing. Maybe as an intern, maybe part-time or maybe full-time. But they start at the very bottom and it's their goal to work their way to the top. And some people would do whatever they can to get to the top. They will lie, steal, cheat to get to the top. But this, this chart is not just an organ, not just, doesn't just work for organizations. This also works for your friend groups. Usually in your friend groups, there's someone who, who is the most popular. There's someone who is the most powerful. Someone who has the greatest influence, who is the most important. And that person gets all the perks. That person is the leader. That person decides where we're going for dinner. That person decides what is popular and what is not popular. That person decides what is cool and what is not cool. Oh, that's, that, that's not cool anymore. Oh, okay. And we just kind of... That person decides what is in and what is not in. And Jesus is going to flip this thing upside down. He's going to flip this idea of greatness on its head. So listen, here's one thing you need to remember. We all have a desire for greatness. We do. Every single person in this room, you have a desire for greatness. When you think about greatness, what do you think about? Who do you think about? Maybe maybe it's someone that's alive or maybe someone that's passed away. But who who do you think about when you think about greatness? Some of you, it's LeBron James. Some of you, it's Michael Jordan. Some of you, it's Steph Curry or Kevin Durant. And usually, or Kobe Bryant. And it's usually, depending on your answer, I can tell you how old you are. Because my generation thinks Michael Jordan is the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. But a lot of you guys think LeBron James is or someone else that's playing basketball right now. And I will tell you, you're wrong. But I will say this in front of all of you as my witnesses. If the Cavaliers win the championship this year, I would declare LeBron James as the GOAT. Right now. What's that? Donuts. Yes. Because I like donuts. Or maybe for you it's Babe Ruth or Mickey Mantle or some baseball player, but I don't really like baseball. Or maybe it's some chef like Gordon Ramsay or um, Bobby Flay. Or maybe it's some president or some leader. I don't know who it is for you. But basically it's someone who has done something great. The goat, the goat, the greatest of all time is someone that is known for what they do. So what we're going to learn today is not only do we have a desire for greatness, but we're also wired for greatness. We're wired for greatness. You were meant for it, but not in the idea of fame or popularity in a new kind of way that Jesus introduces tonight. So let's look at the scripture. This is Mark chapter 9. Then we'll get to our main scripture, Mark chapter 10, just a second. But Mark chapter 9, we'll start reading in verse 33. And this is what it says. It says, and they, and, and, this, and they is Jesus and his disciples, they came to Capernaum. And, he, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing? Or some translations say, what were you arguing about on the way, on the road? Now, this is my life right now. I have three kids, 
And I am constantly asking, why are you fighting? What are you talking? Why are you, why are you arguing? Why are you, why are you fighting with your sister or your brother or whatever it is? Why are you arguing? It's a question that I'm asking. It's a question that my wife is asking all the time. And usually it's over something stupid. Well, she looked at me. What? He's breathing. Yeah. And they fight over these things. And here Jesus is with his disciples and they're fighting. They're arguing on the road. And it made me think, was I this way when I was a kid? Like, did I argue with my brother? And I don't think I was. I was, I wasn't like this. I was a peacemaker. I was kind to everyone. I never instigated anyone. And none of that is true. But this is not about me. This is about my kids, all right? (laughs) But we all can relate to this. We all can relate to having an argument or debate with someone about something. So here Jesus and his disciples, they get to this house. He's like, why were you arguing back there? And this kind of shut the disciples up because verse 34 says, but they kept silent. So they felt some shame. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And they weren't arguing about who was the greatest athlete or who was the the greatest artist of the day. They weren't arguing about whether LeBron or, or Jordan was the greatest of all time. They were debating about this right here. About who was going to be the greatest. And they knew that Jesus Christ was the top, right? They knew that Jesus Christ was, was on the top of the chart. But they wanted to know who were in these spots. They wanted to know who was second in the command. Remember, Jesus was popular at this time. Jesus had crowds that was following him. We know two instances where he had 5,000 men not counting women and children, and 4,000 men, not counting women and children, who was gathered around him, who was kind of following him, and he fed them, right? So we knew that he was very popular, and he had crowds of people around him. And they were like, hey, Jesus, since you're so popular, who's going to get to be with you? Who's going to sit beside you? Let's keep going. Verse 35. And he sat down with the 12. So he had a family meeting. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And the conversation ends. Let's fast forward to the very next chapter. So time has not, this is like within days. A couple of scenes later, same topic, same conversation, some other stuff happened between them. Chapter 10, verse 32, it says this. And they, this is Jesus and his disciples, and maybe some other crowd was following. We're not, we're not really sure. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, so he took the twelve to the side, just him and the twelve at this point. He began to tell them what was about to happen to them. So he, this is what he's telling them. It's like, hey guys, look, it's been great, but it's not going to stay great. Look, we, we've been successful and very popular so far, but it's not always going to be this way. Something's about to change. If you're going to be close to me, you need to be ready for some hard times. Verse 33 says this. 
So he says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man, he's talking about himself, Jesus, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. In other words, while you have, you have seen them and tried to arrest me and they haven't been successful, well, they're about to be successful. Verse 34, and they will mock him, talking about himself, and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So he's talking about himself in third person, but this is what he's saying. Guys, they're going to mock, they're going to mock me. They're going to spit on me. They're going to beat me and flog me and they're going to kill me. He's kind of pouring out his heart to these guys. He's been doing ministry with for three years. He's kind of sharing his heart. He says, after three days, I'm going to rise, but they're going to do all this stuff to me. He's like, when we get to Jerusalem, here's what's going to happen. And I don't want you to be surprised by this. Verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. (laughs) Okay, let's think about this. Have you guys ever done this? Hey, Mom, I want to ask you a question. And will your answer just be yes before I ask it? Hey, teacher, um, I'm going to ask you a question. And can your answer be yes? Before I ask it, just say yes, then I'll ask it. That's what he says. Can your answer be yes, whatever we... And the timing of this is terrible. One verse earlier, what did he say? I'm going to be spit on and flogged and mocked. And killed. And they're like, hey, Jesus, can you do us a favor? What? What is happening? Yeah, sorry about all the spitting and flogging and all that stuff. But yeah, yeah, will you do us a favor? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, that sounds terrible, but don't be too negative on yourself, Jesus. Will you do us a favor? Like, have you ever been in a serious conversation? Or maybe at a funeral, laughing out loud, talking about at a funeral. And you've been in this kind of serious moment and someone cracked a joke, and you just couldn't hold it in. For example, my last church, Tiffany and I were in our lead pastor small group for a semester. I don't remember why, but we were in there for this particular study that we were doing. And we were all in a circle, and we were reading scripture and praying and all that stuff that Christians do. Um, and it's kind of this serious moment. And somebody was reading scripture. I don't know what verse but they read the word duty. And I just kind of perked up. And I just leaned over to Tiffany and whispered, she said duty. <laughs> and before we knew it, we were both cracking up. And nobody knew why we were cracking up, but we were cracking up. I kind of ruined the moment because of my sick mind. And that's what happens here. Jesus is sharing all this serious stuff with just the 12. And they're like, Hey, hey, he, they kind of pulled Jesus to the side. Hey, okay, will you do us a favor? Like, yeah, will you do us a favor? Let's keep reading, verse 36. And he said, he kind of plays it on, and he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they, this is James and John, said to him, Grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in your glory. And they're like, And we have seen your glory, Jesus. Oh my goodness. 
Like you are popular. We're loving it. Like when you first called us, we weren't so sure about this, but we left our jobs and we came and we followed you. And we, we, had, we, don't have, we didn't have a lot going for us back then. But now Jesus, hey, Jesus, the other day, someone asked me for my picture. Yeah, just because I was your follower, your disciple. Like people come to me asking for my autograph and I'm chilling on the, in the stone. It's, it's great, Jesus. We're good right now. So they're like, can we sit next to you? Can we be in these spots? The top is for you. We don't want to be there, but can we ride shotgun? Can we be in on your glory? You know, when all the spitting and flogging and dying stuff is over with, can we sit with you, beside you, in your glory? And Jesus doesn't get mad at them. He doesn't push them away. He says this in verse 38. You do not know what you're asking. And he goes on and says, I don't, I can't, I don't even have permission to grant who sits on my right side or my left side. I, I, I don't have, have permission to grant these things. You don't know what you're asking. But meanwhile, the, 12, the, the other 10 kind of heard what was happening. And this is what happens in verse 41. It says, and when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant. And that word is just a passionate word for they were angry, like really, really angry. At James and John. And they weren't indignant like, oh, how could you be so insensitive about Jesus? He just shared all this stuff about him going to die and mock, be mocked and all this stuff. And you just asked, can you do us a favor? They weren't, they weren't that kind of indignant. They were like, oh, man, you got to him before we did. We want to sit beside him in his glory as well. And they were a little jealous because they got to Jesus before, he, before they did. And Jesus realizing what was happening he sits them all down again. And this is the moment that Jesus spells out for them for the second time what leadership looks like in the kingdom of heaven. Here's what he says, verse 42. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, so he has another family meeting. You know that those who are considered rulers to the Gentiles lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Here's what this means. If you're a leader, you, you know this. You know how this works. You lord it over the people below you. If you're in authority, you leverage your authority for what is best for you, not what, not what is best for your people under you. If someone is abusing, this is someone abusing their authority, they have people underneath them to do whatever it is that they want them to do. So here's an example of how this might work. So here's the same chart. But this is you at the top. And the people under you are for you. But you also see people under them who thinks they're for that person, but really they're ultimately are for you. And then there's people underneath them who think they're for this person, who thinks they're for this person, but really they're all there for you. They're all there for you. They each have direct reports, but ultimately they're all there for you, and that's the point. So when Jesus said this, the apostles were probably like, "Yes, that's correct. We don't care to be the top spot. That's that's reserved for you. But but can you just make this second in command? Like we don't want to be lorded over. We want to lord over people. We can't be you, but we can be little yous. So we can have some authority over some little yous and over some tiny yous." But Jesus looked at them and said this. 
but it shall not be so among you. In other words, you can't do it this way. You have to find a new way. Then Jesus, in a way that only he could do, he turns his whole thing upside down. He turns his whole thing upside down. He says, if you're going to follow me, if, and you're going to claim to be one of my followers, you have to lead like I lead. And here's exactly how I lead, and here's how I expect you to lead. He says, but whoever will be great among you. Whoever would be great among you, which is beautiful because he doesn't condemn them for wanting to be great. He doesn't condemn them. He doesn't say, oh, how dare you for wanting to be great. No, no, why? Because it's hardwired in us, in you, to not only to have a desire for greatness, but to be wired for greatness. But he needs to redefine it. But whoever will be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first, this is the big you, must be slave of all. If you want to be great, great, great for you. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great, but Jesus flips this thing upside down. He redefines it. He introduces it a new way. It doesn't actually look like this anymore. It looks more like this. It looks more like this. The goal in life is not to climb the corporate ladder so you can be the most powerful. It's actually upside down. He's like, down is a new up. You don't have to, you, you don't ascend to greatness. You descend to greatness, which is the perfect example of what Jesus Christ did for us in John 13. Where he stooped down on his knees. And what did he do? Talk to me. He washed his disciples' feet, which was the job of the lowliest of the lowly in the house. He took the towel and he put it around his waist and he wiped the grime from the dusty rose off his disciples' feet. He descended to greatness. And he showed them this perfect example of what it means to be great. What it means to be a servant. When we have authority or power, we are to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. Whenever we have authority, we're to leverage it for the sake of those under our authority. So when we're leading, who benefits? Not us, but those under us. Because greatness is not about what you have. Greatness is not about how much power you have or how much wealth you have or how much popularity you have. No, it's about what you do with what you have that will make you great. It's about what you do with what you have that will make you great. It's about how you use what you have that will make you great. It's it's about how much time you give away to other people. It's about how much stuff you give away to other people. Ultimately, it's about how much of your life you give away to other people that will make you great. And we call all of you to practice this. Every single person in this room, listen, we call you to practice this by serving by serving. Serving is an, is an exercise of greatness. The same thing we call adults to do here at Fellowship Bible Church, we call every student to do here at the Fellowship Bible Church. <clears throat> serving is a way that we practice being great. How? We are using what we have to try to help other people, to serve other people. And I feel like it's part of my, part of my job to set up opportunities for you to serve. 
I feel like it's part of my job to set up these opportunities for you to serve. This is why we're doing the student leadership team that we've been talking about. Why? Because we want to develop leaders. We want to develop leaders in this student ministry. So I have a confession. I want to be real with you for a few moments. Over the past uh, probably four to five, six weeks, I haven't been battling this lie that I am not a great leader. I went to a conference two weeks, two weeks ago. And I'm telling you, I looked at some of the leaders there and they're all like, just has so much charisma. And I'm like, man, I wish I had that. And I've been battling this. And I know it's a lie, but it's my insecurities in my life that has been sneaking up into me. Because I thought that in order to be a great leader, you have to have this charisma. You have to be a charismatic leader to do this, to be a great leader. And then Jim Collins, he wrote this book called Good to Great. And in this book, he's, he, he talked about these businesses. This is a business model. And he talked about these businesses who um, was just a good business, and they turn into a great business. Whatever my father-in-law works at, Kimberly Clark, used those products every single day. And they're paper products. And this business was a good business. But this, the, the person who, who was the, 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 the CEO of this business made it into a great business. And this is what, this is some of the research he did. So he did all this research and he kind of had this hunch that the one thing that all these businesses had in common was this right here, that they all had charisma. They all had charisma. That was kind of his gut feeling. And he assumed that any business that was succeeding or any company or any church or any, anything that's successful, that you will find a very charismatic leader. But his research proved him wrong. What he found is the distinguishing characteristic. And the one thing that every great leader of every great company had in common was this right here. Humility. Humility. And he comes to this conclusion that there's this tension within great leaders where they say they, they love progress. Right? You love seeing things move forward. You love progress, and every great leader does. Listen, I want to see us reach more students. I want to see us, I want to see us all on the field and moving the ball down the field. I don't want to see us up in the stands watching the game. I want us all to be in the game and reaching more students, reaching our classmates. Why? Because there's thousands. Listen, there's thousands of students who are unchurched and doesn't know Christ. And you go to school with them. There's thousands. And we have about 220 here tonight, probably. And there's, I want want to reach, I want to see progress. I want to see the ball move down the field. Not because I don't love you, because I love you guys. But I want to see progress. I want to see us reach more people. And I thought, man, if only I was a more charismatic leader, then I could motivate our students to go and reach more students, more people. And we can maybe see this great spiritual awakening that Joe talked about a couple weeks ago. So back to the conclusion. There's this tension where leaders want to see progress, 
But combined with that is this humility that he discovered that is so compelling that it draws people in his or her direction. Which Jesus would sit back and go, yeah, I know. I told you this 2,000 years ago. That if you want to lead like me, if you want to make progress like I make, made progress, if you want to create a culture, an environment where people want to do what they love to do, then you turn this whole pyramid thing upside down. And the more authority you have, the more responsibility you have for those under your authority. Listen, I'm looking for leaders, adults, students who would lead like Christ. And the whole reason we're doing this thing, like I said, the student leadership team, is so we can learn this, process, this, this concept and put it into practice. And the purpose of this team is not so that you can lord it over to people who are not on this team, like the scripture talked about a few minutes ago. It's not so you can lord it. Oh, look, look at me. I'm on this team and you're not. We're not going to have that. The purpose is this. So we can learn how to lead like Jesus and be a servant leader and serve with humility. Let me give you one practical thing that we can do. This is a very simple question that you can ask. And you don't have to be even on the leadership team to do this. This is something that every single person in this room can do tonight. You can do it in your home, you can do it in your school, you can do it in your church, you can do it on your team, you can do it wherever. This is one of the most powerful questions a leader can ask if they want to take this idea of leveraging their authority for the sake of other people under their authority. Here's the question. What can I do to help? What can I do to help? Essentially, when you ask this question, you're saying, how can I let you borrow me for a moment? Now, think about this. Think about this. What would happen if every single one of you went home tonight and asked your mom, Hey, mom, what can I do to help? What if after dinner, instead of you just going to your room and and checking out, Hey, mom, dad, how can I help you clean up? You think that would change things? I think it would. What can I do to help? Let me give you some practical things right now you can do. Three things. One, we need more volunteers for SKSK, especially, especially guys. Keelan is right over here. If you're interested, you come talk to Keelan before you get a small group. We need volunteers. I'm calling you to serve. Second thing, Camp Barnabas. Chris, Chris. Got sorry. Got a, received a phone call this week saying they need more barnstorm uh, um, counselors for guys. I'm seeing a theme here for some reason. They need more guy counselors. So if you're 16 or older, talk to Chris tonight. It's a week, and I promise you, it'll change your world. And the last thing is, I've already announced this, is tomorrow night we need volunteers to help serve. You can talk to Robert or Jordan. 
Three things that you can go up to any, any one of these four people and say, how can I help? What can I do to help? And they will say, thank you. Because we need your help. How many kids do we have tomorrow night? Uh, 150 kids. And seven volunteers. Guys, we need some help. That's a lot of kids. That's not a good ratio right now. So you need to ask the question, what can I do to help? This, and this, this, this question right here, essentially, is the gospel. This is God looking down on our, on, our, on our sin-filled world and asking the question, what can I do to help? I'm looking at this world, and they, they can't fix it on their own. They're a mess. They need some help. And what can I do to help? And God sent Jesus to do that, which is this is how he wraps up this passage. It says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus saying, hey, I'm not telling you guys to do anything I'm not willing to do myself. This is God looking down and asking, what can I do to help? That's what it means to serve like Christ. When you, ha- you have the opportunity, and I would even say an obligation, to lean all that we are into all that he is. And you can do that in your schools. You can do that here at Surge. You can do that here in this church, in the, in, in the kids' ministry. You can do it in your jobs if you have jobs. You can do it in, on your sports teams. You can do it in such a way that it brings glory and all the credit to Jesus. And again, this is why we're doing a student leadership team. And honestly, I want as many people as possible to be a part of this. Because we're going to spend nine months looking at what it means to be a servant leader. Let me talk about it for a second. Deadline is May 31st. Since we didn't meet last week, we're going to push it back to the end of this month just to make it easy. There's an application process. Applications are on the tables if you have not grabbed one. Many of you guys have grabbed one, but you just lost it or it's not there anymore. Some of you guys have already turned it in. That's awesome. Others have, have it filled out, but you just haven't turned it in. I'm calling you guys to do this. If you want to be a part of this, it's September to May, twice a month, except for December. There's a retreat in there. There's probably a leadership conference in there. We meet once during the summer. Originally, I think on the, on the sheets, excuse me, it says four times during the summer. Summers were crazy, busy. So we're going to meet once during the summer, and then we kick off in the, in the fall. Listen, the disciples' idea of leadership was flipped because of this conversation that he had, that they had with Jesus. Their, this idea of greatness was flipped when they had this conversation with Jesus. And I believe that your leadership would be flipped as well if you take this journey with us. Remember, we are to leverage our authority for the benefit of those under our authority. So who wants to join us? Who wants to join us? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for um, the example you showed us in Scripture. Where you ultimately gave up your life, but you showed us time and time again what it means to be a servant. You got down on your hands and knees and you washed, washed the grime off the disciples' feet. 
And God, we all desire greatness in this room. And it's my prayer that every person in this room would learn how to lead like you lead, with humility. And that the first will be last and servant of all. God, thank you so much. God, we pray all this all in your name. Amen. All right, um, you can head to small groups, but um, I need to, uh, Camp Barnabas, Chris wants to talk to you guys for a second. Camp Barnabas, if you just kind of hang out in this area, and I need to talk to seniors. So seniors, um, let's go out, let's go out in the atrium, and we'll talk out there. Seniors in the atrium, Camp Barnabas right here just for a few moments. Love you guys. See you next week.